You're listening to the Pure Fury Creations Entertainment Network. The views and opinions expressed on this episode are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the views, opinions, or philosophies of the PFC Entertainment Network or any of the affiliates that make this show possible. This show has also been rated M for mature audiences only. Uh, We are going to uh, tackle a genre of sorts. But you and I didn't have any clue what the hell we were going to do. We're going to talk about movies, we're going to talk about TV shows, we're going to talk about toys, we're going to talk about, you know, all the things that made this such such an important part. I love toys. I'm Jason Klaus. I'm Sean Grugel. And we are power tripping the 80s here on the pfc podcast network powered by anchor.fm hello everybody welcome to power tripping through the 80s here on the pfc entertainment network along with sean grugel i'm jason klaus we certainly appreciate you tuning in this week uh, we do have an 80s theme topic here, and uh, full disclosure, uh, we both Sean and I uh, were coming into the studio today to record this episode, and we didn't want to have a topic where we had to do a tremendous amount of research or you know deep dives or things of this nature. So we opted to. I don't want to say we took the easy way out here this week, Sean, but we. Um, you know, I had found a list, big shocker, but um, this kind of encompasses the decade of the 1980s and, it's in, you know, the way it was laid out, the way it's broke down, um, I felt like this was going to be our best course of action here. Now, <clears throat> you're listen, you know, you're listening to this show, uh, if you are listening to the show, then chances are pretty good that you follow our product you follow our brand you follow our network and uh, either you know whether you're downloading the shows every week or you're staying up to up to date with the website our facebook pages uh you know we gotta go ahead and just um i don't even know how we have to address the elephant in the room as it were right um because we don't want this to be uh we don't want that uh that feeling that there's something heavy hanging over top of us and people have no idea what the fuck is going on now <clears throat> last week uh, sean and i along with many 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 other people friends, family, 
we were dealt with a pretty significant blow that by and large nobody really saw coming like we didn't have time to prepare because everything just kind of happened so fast that you know that life happens that way right the very beginning of this show uh within the first month and a half or so we had a very special guest that joined us on a couple of occasions and uh made an indelible i mean he was already you know practically your brother a um one of the guys that i have the utmost respect for in any walk of life somebody i just thought the world of uh we brought him on the show we had him on for uh we tackled music on one episode uh and you and I and he broke down different aspects of the music scene of the 1980s. And then he he also joined us for a very comical uh, FMK episode. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> We've only done that once. <laughs> uh, so we want to start the show off this week. You know, generally we try not to start on, on a somber note, but like we just cannot not acknowledge this at least not talk about it at the start of the show generals dave linder uh passed away last week after a uh, a relatively short battle with cancer um hearing news like that you know when you lose somebody that means something on that level you know just the amount of love respect that you know you have for an individual takes things like this that puts life in perspective but uh i mean it doesn't ease the pain anymore and it does not fill that void now my dealings with dave and yours are different sean you you know him on different levels than i did uh he came to me he came across my radar as a wrestling fan of a fan of our promotion and became such a huge fan of what we were doing and he came in at a time where you and i were forming the power trip tag team and uh, not only did he become a super fan uh we actually plucked him out of the goddamn crowd and made him talent made him part of the fucking company made him part of the power trip uh, like i had known that we had that he appreciated that opportunity. But it didn't get, uh, it didn't sink in until I read his obituary yesterday. And in it, whoever wrote it made sure to make mention that he was a member of the MWO Hall of Fame. And uh, I didn't realize until I read that that it meant as much to him as it did. And uh, the world lost a great man way too soon. And uh, we wanted to take a few moments here at the start of the show to uh, pay, pay tribute. Yeah, you uh, you said it um, earlier. The the man was 
literally uh, my brother. I mean, not so much in that blood sense, but he was the type of family, you know, where I was lucky enough. I got to pick who I call my brother. And I don't throw that term out lightly to just anybody. You, you're my brother. Uh, you know, I lost my brother Christopher last year. Uh, another non-blood related brother. Uh, you know, Dave and I, uh, it was rare, but we actually expressed how much we loved each other as family. You know, we actually told each other, hey man, I love you, you know. And, you know, we've talked about it on this show before. Uh, you never know. You never know. You know, if you feel like you got to tell someone you love them, wrap your arms around them, give them a hug, tell them you love them, because you never know if that's going to be the last day you see them or not. Um, you know, a Sunday, last week's Sunday, I checked myself into the hospital because I was having some medical issues. And I sent Dave a text message. I was on the first floor and he was on the third floor in ICU. And I sent him a text message and uh, I'm like, hey man, uh, I'm in the hospital with you. Maybe we could be roommates, you know? And uh, he writes back, what? And um, I went up to his room to see him and the last words I said to him, was rust up man i love you and now that's just now hitting me that i said that to him but this, uh <clears throat> go ahead no go ahead please i was just trying to buy you some time um Grab a hold of your loved ones and tell them that because, uh, well, maybe that wasn't the last words he heard me say to him because I went up and seen him Wednesday uh, before he, was it Wednesday, Tuesday? Tuesday before he passed away. I said some other things to him. Now, whether he was able to hear me or not, that's one thing. But I was able to say it to him. And uh, I'm going to miss you, Dave. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind. I mean, what, what kind of bothers me, in a sense, Dave and I, you know, we were as thick as thieves, you could say. And we were on a bowling team together. And I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm the last of the old guys on a five-man bowling team that hasn't passed away from, you know, so I don't know if my bowling team is cursed or what, you know. Uh, Dan, Calvin, Larry, Butch, Dave, and myself, you know, we all formed the opinions. And uh, Dave's son, Jacob, and Jacob's friend, Tim, they were occasionally in there as well. So... Boys, I hope you're all having fun up there. There was a lot of thunder and lightning going on last night. And uh, my mom used to tell me when there was a thunderstorm that the angels were in heaven bowling. And the thunder was the, a ball hitting the pins and the lightning was if they got a strike. Well, there was a lot of lightning last night. 
And uh, Dave, I hope you got your 300 last night, buddy, because you sure to hell deserve it. <sighs> okay, I'm good. Okay. Um, stay tuned to uh, the end of the show here. And uh, not really sure how it's going to materialize here because we are going to pay tribute to Dave at the end of the show in some regard. Just not sure how it's going to materialize. It's going to be done in post-production. So stay tuned for till the end of the show for that. Let's. Uh, hey, I got some good news though. Let's flip okay. the script. Real yeah, quick. I was just going to say, let's try to uh, make a transition here and uh, kind of lighten the mood as best as we can. Right. What's some good news here, pal? Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, we're about to light the mood. I'm about to make an announcement. Thanks to you. Actually, I don't know if it's to you or not, but we have achieved our goal. We have achieved our, uh, our goal of getting enough funds through, get this, not only the eBay account, but people actually booked Levi Blue through Cameo. Some weird videos, by the way. <laughs> and we I, are going to get a hold of Webster <laughs> to get that <laughs> damn shout out that we've been trying to get for a year. <laughs> Listen, uh, it's been it's been a little bit in the making. Like it started out as a joke, right? Right. <laughs> we kind of turned it in you more than anybody, but we kind of turned it into our own personal mission. You know, we we deserve a shout out from Webster for as much as, as we talk about him on, on the program here. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, it's very cool. You know, you you were kind of keeping me up to speed as to what was happening with the eBay thing. And then these these cameo requests that you got. Um, I Listen, <laughs> I have seen and heard some fucked up things in my day but what what you were tasked with was i just could not make sense of it i like i try to apply logic right because that's just kind of what i do i don't know what the hell that was but you know you sent them to me after you got them done and like you you nailed it out of the park based on what was requested but it makes you question what the fuck is going on in some of these people's minds you know why a person would want to hear me talk about my skid marks (laughs) i have no idea but hey if i got to you know i'm i'm gonna try i I don't know who i'm gonna try to get a shout out for the show next time uh if i got to i'll create an OnlyFans for my skid marks (laughs) we'll see what happens (laughs) that is that is not anything that I thought I would be hearing first thing on a Wednesday morning, but here we are. I'm here for it. Listen, uh, if you know, in all sincerity, we appreciate you know those of you who went to Sean's eBay page or bought something, or you know, if you're responsible for the for the cameo things for Levi Blue. In all sincerity, we certainly appreciate your your support. That also goes hand in hand with the folks that are keeping track of what we're doing over on TikTok. You're the latest three-minute nostalgia on the GoBots. 
achieved over almost a thousand views between your account and the PFC network account in one so, day in one day and I was like damn <laughs> because most of mine average around 250 270 something like that because I you know my shit's more geared towards close of the heart more motivational stuff but I do upload the um the three minute nostalgias and then i went so far because <laughs> last week's show my little rant at the end of it when we got to the number one most popular cartoon started to gain popularity so i cut that that piece of video out of our recording session and uploaded it and <laughs> um so i feel like we are going to start doing more of that we're going to start taking more of our actual video clips from our recording sessions and upload them to TikTok because hearing it is one thing, seeing it is is another. And apparently, Sean, I'm pretty goddamn animated when when I get fired up about something. I mean, Pengu, dude, that's <laughs> Pengu. Still don't know what that is. Oh Lord, have mercy. Hey man, I found a list. And, oh shit. Uh, <laughs> I did, it. and actually, I I took preemptive measures. I sent it to you uh, as a preview so that you could see what we're going to be talking about. So if you wanted to do any additional research, you did. I did. I don't remember. I don't Jesus Christ! I, I texted it to you. It's from um, mentalfloss.com. Just just like in school, I didn't do my homework, bro. Um. <laughs> Um, I'm looking for it. Uh, well, I guess th this will be the first time you're seeing it too. So here we go. <laughs> yeah, because I'm like, dude, I, you, there, I don't got a list from you. Bitch, I know I, I know I texted it to you. I know I did. I did it at work. The line went down because I was texting it to you. <laughs> no, I got everything from the old man screaming. Oh, wait a minute. It just, just got here at 8.08. I just resent it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hell, hells. Listen, we're going to talk about total... Uh, well, I don't know if we're going to do all 80, but we have totally awesome facts about the 1980s. And I read through a few of these things. I'm like, wow, that's kind of interesting. And it kind of provides a little bit of backstory on some of the things that had come across our radar in the 1980s. Um, I didn't realize that at number one, I was going to be learning about um, the singer who recorded the song Mickey. You know the song. Tony Mickey, Basil. Right? Yes. You know, she was 38 years old when she recorded that song. Um, I, I didn't know that, but she she did look too old to be in that cheerleading outfit. I, you know, I, I'll be straight up. Never saw the video. I just know the song from hearing it, and I would have imagined i would have assumed and i did assume that this was a 20 something year old girl yeah i had no idea that it was a 38 year old woman who who had sung that and to this day one of the most recognized songs of that of that era Still and one of the most annoying yeah well for sure yeah uh, yeah no never be on my playlist hey um hey <laughs> <laughs> I listened to the heat vent from this last Friday yeah. with, with Levi Blue. And in that particular episode, 
he mentions playing hacky sack. Yeah. Hacky sack was a big thing in the 80s. It seems like it goes, it seems like it's it's cyclical. Like it gets popular, then dies down, it gets popular again, dies down. In the 1980s, this was very much a thing. Did you know, my friend, that um, the hacky sacks were not a 1980s invention? In fact, the first evidence of a hacky sack can be traced back to 3000 BC when Chinese Emperor Wang Ti used to kick around a leather ball filled with hair. Yeah, that guy was my neighbor. So, uh, <laughs> okay. Wang T, huh? Wang T, the emperor. Yeah. Wow. So apparently no. used to uh, kick around the old the old sack. This one had hair in it, though. Weird, right? What? You know, hairy sacks go hand in hand with a Wang T. Thank so. you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for picking up on that because I'm like, I'm going to throw him this softball, and if he does not. Hit it out of the park. I am fucking done here this week, and we'll, we'll try it again next week. Softballs, Harry Sacks, and Wong T. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next thing on this list here, Casey Kasem. We know Casey Kasem, one of the most recognizable voices in the history of radio broadcast. Appeared every single week on American Top 40. And like Zoics, he's the voice of Shaggy from Scooby Doo. Also, the voice of Robin from the Batman and, and uh, or the or the Super Friends cartoon. Yep. Did you know he was also uh, a voice in Transformers cartoon? No. Wait a minute. I did, but which one was it? He was one of the minor characters. Yes. Um, However, he okay. quit. He quit the show. Legendary DJ and voice actor Casey Kasem played the cliff jumper on the animated Transformers, but he left the show over a racist script containing an Arab character named Abdul. They still made the episodes. Oh, well, I mean, if you can get someone to copy the voice, why not? Uh, you know, I'm not I'm not trying to say it to be a dick, but Casey Kasem, you know, it, this is Casey Kasem. America's top 40, you know? Dude, I mean, how do you do that? <laughs> you, you sound just like him. I, it's, it, it's, a, it's a curse and a gift. <laughs> but, you know, if, if you can get someone to do the voices, then why the hell not? I mean, they probably paid, paid that voice actor a hell of a lot less than they were paying Casey Kasem. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. I don't care about the Sony Walkmans. Uh, Clark Kent. Wait a minute, Sony Walkman. You didn't have a Sony Walkman? I had one. Okay. I had one. I did, yes. See, uh, I had one that had the dynamic bass boost on it. Oh. You remember that? I it do. Had the, yeah. Didn't work worth a shit, but goddammit, it looked cool on that Walkman. <laughs> <laughs> Sony named the Walkman after the Pressman audio recorder featured uh, in Superman. I was not aware of that. Uh, um, waterbeds. Waterbeds became a big thing in the 80s. Did, did you have, have you ever had a waterbed? I had a waterbed, but when I was a kid, my parents actually had a water couch. Really? Yeah. You uh, never even heard of one. Oh, it was a it was a couch with a base of water. And I'm telling you what. 
you were sitting there watching TV and, you know, my sister would either jump on there. My mom would jump on there. They weren't waveless back then. So when they sat down, your ass went up. You were either coming <laughs> off of that thing or holding on with both hands. So I, I specifically remember remember one Easter, my mom hit our Easter baskets. Oh, wait, kids, turn off the radio. You don't want to hear this. But she, she hid the Easter baskets. Oh, wait, it, she hit them for the Easter bunny. Yes. Yes. Saved them for the Easter money. And we found that I don't even know why we were behind this water couch, but we found them behind the water couch. And boy, was mom pissed off at us. Uh, and for some reason, that water couch didn't last very long after that. <laughs> you can imagine why. Yeah. Now, I had a, a water bed as well. I was surprised. My, I saved my money for months to, to buy a water bed. And, uh, I can go into the story as to why I got rid of it, but uh, it would probably embarrass some certain people in my household. Okay. And uh, we don't want to do that, certainly. Right. So after uh, I found out what happened in my waterbed, make your own assumptions, I I, I got rid of that son of a bitch. So <laughs> waterbeds, uh, I mean, it was. They were all the rage, especially in the mid-80s. In 1987, 20% of all mattresses sold were waterbeds. That, yeah. is a, that is a significant number. And mine was heated, too. So was that it was really? Bad. Yeah. Yeah. I was probably like the only 14-year-old with a heated queen-size waterbed in his room. Yeah, because I'd never heard of such a uh, the waterbed market was worth two billion dollars in 1987. Put that in perspective. Yeah, that's huge. Imagine what the construction business was like for water damaged floors and walls. Oh my God! Yeah, that's the reason yeah. why my parents never got one because they knew damn well Jeff and I would wind up wrestling on it, yeah, hopping it and flooding the entire house. So yep. I, I mean, you hear, you hear it's been it's been depicted in movies and TV shows. Like that's real life shit. Like that happened. Yep. <laughs> All right, I don't give a shit about that. Uh, April 24th is uh, New Kids on the Block Day in Massachusetts. Poor Massachusetts. Michael Dukakis is famous for losing to George H.W. Bush in the 1988 presidential election, but people forget about his larger contributions to, to history. Like, for instance, he's the one that declared that April the 24th, 1989, to be new kids on the block day in the state of Massachusetts. Isn't that fun? Imagine a guy named Dukakis <laughs> <laughs> declaring a new kids on the block day. Harry Balls. <laughs> Luke Skywalker was almost trained by Buffy. In earlier outlines for The Empire Strikes Back, Yoda was named Buffy. Jenny. Thank God they changed that. My <laughs> God. When I see now, I'm like, who, the, the vampire slayer? <laughs> <laughs> oh, fun. Um, this is something that when I read this, like I get I like five people that I hung out with in the 80s came to mind when when I read this. You could buy the phone from your favorite show. In 1984, if you wanted a phone shaped like lips, like the one that DJ had on Full House, it would cost you $70. Nowadays, no one even knows the price of a, of a landline. 
Many people will never know the thrill of chatting on a hamburger phone or a banana phone or a Mickey Mouse phone and one of those transparent phones where you could see all the wires on the inside. Did you have one of these? I had a football phone. Did you? Yes. <laughs> I don't. I think my mom bought it from a garage sale for me, and I was just excited to have a phone in my bedroom. I don't know why, because I didn't have a shit ton of friends back then, but... You know what's funny? We're talking about phones. I still remember my childhood friend's phone numbers, but I can barely remember my wife's phone number. I remember. Because I, of these cell I'm phones. With you. Yes, I'm with you on that. I can remember my old house number. I can remember uh, Jason Floyd's number. I can remember Tony Whitcomb's number. Yeah. Uh, a few other people that lived in Hadley. Yes, absolutely. Um, nowadays. Good. I mean, I know, like, I know my dad's number. I think I, yeah. I, uh, there's, there's a handful that if, if I was in a pinch and I didn't have my phone and I needed, needed to call somebody, there are some that I have locked in, in my brain. So. Yeah, I have very few. It's funny. Like if customers come to me at the store and they just got like a package of something, they're like, what's the price on this? And I'll look at them. I say, I remember every price in the store, just like I remember every phone number in my phone. <laughs> and they look at me funny. I'm like, do you know your own phone number? And they'll laugh at me. I'm like, give me a minute. I'll go look it up. But I'm that guy at, at the grocery store. I, I'm i that guy. You don't know if I'm really an asshole or if I'm just, you know, sarcastic. And uh, as it turns out, I'm a sarcastic asshole. So <laughs> but the best of both worlds, right? Yeah. Um, Ms. Pac-Man had an interesting tagline. Do you recall what this tagline was? I don't know. Was it she gobbles balls? Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Uh, no? When the video game character was introduced <laughs> in 1982, Ms. Pac-Man's tagline was the new femme fatale of the gaming world. Oh. Well, I just figured since we were running on this whole, like, almost testicle-like theme this week, that this is what we were going to go with. So, I mean, that would have fit into with Ms. Pac-Man, but no, the femme nope. fatale of the gaming world. So that's fun. Well, uh, you know, they, it was a good marketing ploy to just throw a bow on top of Ms. Pac-Man in order to get girls more interested in video games back then. I mean, the, the marketing value on that alone was just probably so substantial. It probably went up into tens of millions of dollars for the arcade industry. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Because a lot of that shit, you know, and we've talked about it when we've broken down the toys and the and the different, you know, characters cartoon characters like every uh, not everything but there was such a huge shift towards boys like right. boys were the target and the girls kind of got shit on you know by and large uh the gaming world is no different a lot of that was geared primarily towards boys you throw a a digital bow on top of pac-man call it miss pac-man well all of a sudden the girls have their own game so yeah smart it was smart you know you look at i know kind of a sidebar here but you look at some of the video games that the girls had when we were growing up they were really for lack of a better term uh nonsensical 
they they were made to be generally easier to play than what would be deemed a boys game. They for even lack of a better term, they were dumbed down for girls. You know, you had games like Barbie Horse Adventures. Uh, you know, a lot of Barbie games back then. I don't even think there there was a He-Man game, but I don't even think there was a She-Ra game back then. You know, um, I'm looking at some of my games. I remember the biggest surprise is when you went through and you beat Metroid that Samus Aran was actually a girl at the end of the game. I don't think a lot of guys would have played that game if they would have known that right off the top that Samus Aran was a girl, you know, uh, I, I love marketing when it comes to toys and games and, you know, uh, public perception, especially since we've been doing this show. It's opened my eyes to a, to a lot more things that were happening. But, yeah, for just a simple bow, a little simple programming, as you would say, <laughs> you know, just slap a bow on her head. And now, you know. Pac-Man is now Miss Pac-Man. That just brought in a whole new money uh, source for the gaming industry. Absolutely perfect. You know, the one thing that really stands out to me, and God, what was it? Three, four months ago, your friend Benny was on the show. Yeah. And his wife came in at towards the, the end. Laura, I believe, was, was her name? Yep. She made a statement during her brief time on the show that resonates with me. Like I think about it all the time. Now the toys that were geared towards the girls were preparing the girls for motherhood. Right. And, and, and things of this nature, whereas our toys were, you know, we were going to be masters of the universe or we were going to be GI Joe, or we were going to do this, that, or the other thing we weren't really preparing being prepared for anything much like like what what the girls had and i and i don't feel like that was just a 1980s thing that you can trace that back to the when they first started making dolls when i mean you know like like you know barbie dolls and things of this nature i uh what else was there you know what i mean so it when you when you look at it from that perspective it's like damn girls got shit on big time yeah big yeah they did uh, my next uh, topic of conversation here, DC Comics. We know who is responsible for the creation and distribution of Batman, Superman, Green Lantern, The Flash. Uh, DC Comics was nice enough to let the Karate Kid keep its name. Before the Karate Kid movie, the Karate Kid was a completely unrelated DC Comics superhero. C- Columbia Pictures actually thanked the comic company in the movie's credits for letting them use the name. I didn't know that. No, I might have to dig through the credits and watch for that. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I found that to be somewhat, you know, also speaking along the lines of Batman, uh, one of the actors that played uh, Batman later on, uh, Christian Bale, you know, once helped sell Pac-Man cereal. In the 1980s, Christian Bale started a commercial for the Pac-Man serial, thus giving us the name for his inevitable autobiography from Pac-Man to Batman. Um, that Pac-Man serial sucked. Yeah, it did. It really did. It, it was really like, did. if I remember right, wasn't it like Kicks with marshmallows? Something and like kicks, that. Kicks yeah. was horrible. God. Uh, <clears throat> More balls. More balls. More. 
I'm yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Olivia Newton John. We uh, we I love Olivia. Oh god, dude. She was something else. Yeah. She just was something else. Uh her song Physical, uh, arguably one of her most popular songs, was meant to be macho. According to songwriter Steve Kipner, the Olivia the Olivia Newton John's song Physical was originally written for a macho male rock figure like Rod Stewart. The singer was also worried that after she recorded it, it would be too raunchy. Now, I love Rod Stewart. I'm a huge Rod Stewart fan. But under no shit and circumstances can I imagine what that voice would sound like singing physical. Well, not only that, imagine Rod Stewart singing that song in the music video and leaving the music video as it is because <laughs> that music video you know a lot of people don't look at it like this and i believe amy sheridan brought it up at one point in time that music video was pretty controversial back in the 80s because at the end of the video you had a couple guys that were working out they leave the gym holding hands yeah you know so ruffled was, a feather or two yeah it did uh, staying on on track here with Ms. Olivia, uh, <clears throat> a publicist watched a double feature of Can't Stop the Music and Xanadu. He was inspired to start the Golden Raspberry Awards, a.k.a. the Razzies. The parody for bad filmmaking were initially awarded at his home Oscar party. Nowadays... The Razzies are a thing, yeah. And if you if you get bestowed with a Razzie, it's because you have made a shit film. It started because of Olivia Newton John's nineteen what was it eighty eighty one Xanadu. Was it Olivia Newton John that got the Razzie and an Emmy in that same year for the same movie? Yeah. Was it Xanadu still? Yes, because okay. the song "Magic" that was from that movie, even though the movie tanked, and we, w- you and I watched this thing, the fifty worst movies ever made, and that was on on their list. Yeah, but that song "Magic" spent weeks at number one. It was a pretty yeah. popular song. I actually have it in one one of my playlists, so I, I don't mind telling you. No, it's a good song. I I have a few Olivia Newton John songs on my uh, playlist, so. Um, How many of them are from the Grease soundtrack? Uh, the one that I want. You want no. I <laughs> You're welcome, no. Cindy. That was for, for you. She said, I never get to hear you sing. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fun. <clears throat> Boomboxes demanded some serious arm strength. Yeah, they did. According to Boombox expert Fred Braithwaite, that's a hell of a name, those boxers were so heavy that some cats would carry, some cats that would carry their boxes all the time, they would develop massive forearms and biceps. Some boomboxes were upwards of 26 pounds. I don't think their massive forearms were from the boombox. <laughs> I've seen the Skittles commercials. Um, <laughs> you know, oh, the boomboxes themselves, yeah, they were heavy, but uh, 
you know, they took anywhere from six to 10 D cell batteries, you know, the biggest, smallest batteries you can get at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never carried one around on my shoulder. I mean, I did carry one. I remember when I was a kid, I, I thought I was a badass because I had like a Panasonic tape recorder that I would carry around with me and listen to my music. You know, that was before my, you know, bass boost walk, man. But, right. uh, you know, the, the, the tape recorders, man, those were a thing. Uh, you know, I remember sitting there in front of the TV anxiously anticipating the next music video so that I could hit that record button and pirate my music that way, you know? That's the old... I, listen, Sean, I found a box. I have a box. I know people can't see this, but behind me is this closet right here, right? And I have several boxes in there from the various moves. And I opened one up because I was looking for, for something the other day, and I found at the bottom of it uh, another container that had a bunch of cassette tapes in there and i open it up and i look and and a lot of them are tapes that i recorded songs from the radio and i'm willing to bet that when i go to my dad's here um, very shortly i have a tape player at his house if i bring that here and i put these tapes in you're going to hear the song themselves. You're going to hear the DJ intro and outro and probably some commercials from back in the 80s. So I'm very curious to, to see if they have withstood the, the test of time. When uh, I was young, I'm sure you you had to do this. Did you? Because we do this and we love podcasting. But when I was a kid, I used to do my own radio shows. Yes, you know, yes. do my own announcing and blah, blah, blah. I, when I made, when my wife and I first got together, you know, 3,062 years ago, um, I remember making her a uh, mixtape with me doing the announcing and why I'm dedicating this song to her and what it means to me to, you know, do this for her and blah, blah, blah. And I think she still has got them to this day. So That's phenomenal. That is phenomenal. All right, back on track here. Um, <clears throat> I don't know what the hell. Oh. <laughs> this is a fun, lo- lo- a fun little tidbit. You were a big fan of, maybe not us per se, but kids generally in our age group, uh, was more specifically the girls, we're a big fan of Project Two, whether you know it or not. When American Greetings was developing the Care Bears, they were top secret and only called Project Two. Project One, by the way, was none other than Strawberry Shortcake. Really? Yeah. That's kind of that's kind of interesting. Well, I mean. Keep it a secret, a secret, you know, I mean, I mean, look, look, uh, we can talk about, we've talked about before comparisons with, you know, GoBots and Transformers and Smurfs and Snorks and, you know, everything was so similar because people were ripping one another off. You know what I'm saying? So imagine if we had the Care Bears, we probably could have had, I don't know, the emotional support bears or some shit like that, you know, uh, strawberry shortcake. You know, I 
I, I don't I don't even know where to go with that. I'm hungry. I start talking about food. I'm really gonna go off on a tangent. But uh <laughs> <laughs> but you right. you had to keep stuff undercover or else yeah. you know your your company secrets were gonna leak. So it makes sense. For sure. Yeah, that's still going on today. Oh yeah. That yeah. that happened and I ooh, I'd better not go down that rabbit hole. That could open me up for a lot of potential issues. But it's still a thing. Still, still a thing. To this day. Um, a soap opera helped make Rick Springfield a global pop star. General Hospital. Thank you. Uh, and they... <laughs> yeah. hey, do not judge me. <laughs> I was a big Days of Our Lives fan. I was a big watched... Rick Springfield fan. Were you? Yeah. Yep. That was the very first, and we talked about this with Dave. My very first album I ever bought was Rick Springfield's Working Class Dog. Right here in the description. Uh oh. Uh, in, in 1981, Rick Springfield accepted a role on General Hospital after recording his album, Working Class Dog. The show got around 14 million viewers daily, which may be why uh, the song Tessie's Girl hit number one that year. It's his only single to hit the top spot. Which is stupid because I've done everything for you, which could actually be the anthem of your life right now. <laughs> but that song was absolutely amazing. I actually liked it better than Jesse's Girl. So I appreciate you saying that. <laughs> that little tidbit is going to be making its way through. Uh, Cyberspace before long, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Whatever. Hey, Whatever. Man. I didn't make that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, God. This one is more more along the lines. I I read this and I thought of I thought of your wife Sharon. You can visit a Rainbow Bright Museum. Um, your wish has come true. It says there is a Rainbow Bright Museum in North Carolina made up of 1,500 items of memorabilia from one woman's Rainbow Bright collection. 1,500 Rainbow Bright items. Now, you look around here, Sean, you, you know, you've been at my other houses and shit like that. Like, I've got wrestling memorabilia all over the place, right? But it's across generations and different companies and different, you know, superstars and shit. We're talking about one. One person collected 1,500 articles of memorabilia and opened up its own museum be because of it. You think we could do something like that? Uh, maybe. <laughs> I, you know, when it came to Rainbow Bright, again, it was another brilliant marketing scheme because you not only had the plush Rainbow Brights, but you had the small plastic figures like the strawberry shortcakes as well. Plus, they went into vehicles, houses, blah, blah, blah. They, they made a, a, a whole, I guess the word would be what, dynasty out of the Rainbow Bright series. Uh, uh, books and records and posters, you name it. I mean, uh, Hallmark really hit a home run when it came to Rainbow Bright and strawberry shortcake. Absolutely. <laughs> um, Especially when you're talking about a limited audience as far as how many toys were directed and geared towards females back then. Right. That weren't marketed to you know help you potentially become a mommy in the future. So exactly. Exactly. 
uh, Nintendo got its console into stores with an offer they couldn't refuse. In 1985, in an attempt to convince stores in New York City to carry the new Nintendo Entertainment System, a, a Nintendo executive promised that they could send back the ones that they didn't sell free of charge. But they ended up selling 50,000 that holiday season in 1985. So I don't think they really need to be worrying about sending any back that didn't sell. Right. Yeah, I know a thing or two about a thing or two when it comes to Nintendo. Yes, so. you do. You're like the goat. You're the guru, as it were. Uh, oh. Maybe. <laughs> uh, leopard print helped. Simon Laban get his lead singer gig. Do you know who, who this is off, off the top of your head? Well, real quick, your list didn't mention the fact that Worlds of Wonder didn't help Nintendo uh, get into the stores because if you wanted to carry a Teddy Rockspin, you were forced to carry Nintendo. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah. If, if So Nintendo of America went to Worlds of Wonder and they needed help getting into stores because of the, I know sidebar, but because of the video cra game crash in the early 80s, stores were hesitant to carry Nintendos. You notice Nintendo was not called the Nintendo Game System. It was called the Nintendo Entertainment System because they wanted to put that, they wanted to get it away from games. So Nintendo of America went to Worlds of Wonder because Worlds of Wonder hit the home run with Teddy Rockspin, made this deal with them that if these stores wanted to carry a Teddy Rockspin, because Teddy Rockspin was huge for like three to five years, yeah. that these stores had to carry Nintendo as well. So, Interesting. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that wasn't on that list, but okay. I'm sorry, go back to your lead singer. <laughs> no, it, it, it made absolutely zero mention of that, unless it's later on down this list here, because they have 80 different things here. Like I said, we're not tackling all 80. Oh, no. No, we can continue it next week if we wanted to as a part two. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Simon Laban showed up to his Duran Duran audition in pink leopard print pants. Nick Rhodes said anyone who looks that stupid is positively the one. That's fun. Sounds, sounds like a, a, a wrestling gimmick, honestly. If you I think heard that. I thought Brutus Beefcake. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you, uh, you know, the more you st stand out to someone, the more attention you're going to get, whether it's they're looking at your clothes, they're eventually going to hear your voice if you're trying to be a lead singer. Right. Especially oh. a lead singer. I mean, you're the front man, right? You're, you're right. the voice of that group. But if you can visually set yourself apart, then you're ahead of the game plan. Let's let, let, let's just throw it out there. And, you know, Dave, I know I keep mentioning you, but. Look at Freddie Mercury. Freddie Mercury was, you know, sure, Fred, Freddie Mercury was queen, but Freddie Mercury was definitely the front man because he stood apart from everyone else in that band. You know, you, you, had, you had to stand out or you weren't going to get the attention that you were looking for. Right. Absolutely. Um, also, when, when we were mentioning Dave again, I mean, how can you not? Uh, when we were talking about the, the different music genres of the 80s when he was on, Eddie Murphy's album came up. Yep. Um, <clears throat> Eddie Murphy's debut musical album was produced by Rick James and Stevie Wonder. It cost 
over a half a million dollars to make Eddie Murphy's album, How Could It Be, featuring the infamously bad single, Party All the Time, which is now in your head. You're welcome. Oh, forever and ever. (laughs) This never comes out. I'll be sitting there at work some days, and I'll just start singing it, and I don't know why, but there it is. Real life scientists inspired Jim and the Holograms. The last okay, names, that's interesting. Yeah, the last names of Jim and the Holograms were the names of real scientists who worked on hologram te- technology. Really? Mm-hmm. I didn't know Jim had a last name. I thought it was just Jim. Jerrica Benton was her official name. You know, I remember Jerrica, but I don't remember her last name, so... But then again, I didn't watch that show. Like, my sister watched it, and I think when it came on, I would, you know, cut out or whatever. So, yeah. Don't worry, be happy. Bobby McFerrin, Simple Pleasures. Still, okay, well, moving on. (laughs) Uh, the, The headline here, Don't Worry, Be Happy, Still Makes People Happy. What they have written here. The 1988 song, Don't Worry, Be Happy, still has many fans, including Hillary Clinton, who received a teddy bear that sings the song from former Secretary of State George Shultz. Uh, Her memoir claims, I kept it in my office first as a joke, but every so often it really did help to squeeze the bear and hear that song. One of the most iconic songs of the 80s. I mean... I'm surprised with Hillary Clinton, it isn't a big mouth Billy Bass. You know, (laughs) take me to the river and don't worry, be happy. Uh. Mm. (laughs) Members only jackets. Do you remember these? I wasn't a member. I wasn't either. Uh, (laughs) But I remember them. (laughs) However, um, another brand that did well for itself in the 80s, members only. Thanks to their famous coats, the company brought in $100 million a year. Wow. Crazy. Nope, I was the jean jacket wearing permanent marker drawing patch gluing guy. You know, that that was my coat. So have the, you know, anthrax with the magic marker, Metallica with the magic marker. You know, that was me. Right. Uh, John Bon Jovi hated living on a prayer at first. Uh, John Bon Jovi didn't like the song Living on a Prayer and almost scrapped it from the the Slippery When Wet album before it gave them their first number one song. I always thought it was a great song myself. I I did too. One one of those anthems that still resonates to this day. It Um, aged fairly well. When I hear that song, my thoughts immediately go back to elementary school. We may have talked about this before. They they had the giant parachute in gym class, and they would take a beach ball, and you would have to wave this giant parachute to get the beach ball to the other side. But they would play music while we were playing this game. And the one song that sticks out in my head is that one. <laughs> That's Living fine. on a prayer, and uh, you give love a bad, bad name. name. Yep. Yep. You know the uh, sidebar. You know what the most unappreciated song 
on that album is is um, raise your hands. Oh, raise, raise your, your hands, hands. which yes. was featured in the movie. Uh raise your hand. Ah, uh, God, give me a second. I know what it is. It's uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, right? No, no. I'm su- I'm surprised. I'm surprised by this. Spaceballs. Oh, that's right. When Barf is dancing around the RV, yes. eating the <laughs> ice cream. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Always when I'm eating. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, two famous 80s styles were invented decades before the 1980s. Thanks to Dynasty and Working Girl, shoulder pads and women's clothing became very popular during the 1980s. Uh, but they can be traced back to 1872, the first time that they incorporated shoulder pads and w- women's clothing. Kind of interesting. I remember my mom wearing dresses with those big ass shoulder pads. Yep. She 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 was the height of fashion back then. So she's probably still got them in her closet now. I don't know. <laughs> uh did you know that Mr. T is not a stage name? It's not a stage name. When he turned 18, Lawrence Tour Turaud, I, I probably butchered that. Legally changed his name to Mr. T because he wanted people to call him Mr., which he considered a sign of respect that white people didn't generally grant black men. Yeah, you know, it makes sense. Uh, you know, Mr. T, I was surprised to find out he was on a TV show before he got onto the A team and into WrestleMania. It's called The World's Best Bouncer. Yes. Yep. And, uh, yeah, that's where he he built his reputation from. So, I believe that's what kind of spearheaded his um, his appearance as Clubber Lang in Rocky Three, because yeah. I feel like if and I I may have my timeline off a little bit, but I feel like Rocky Three was the first time that uh, what's your it's raining like a song bitch here still oh it died down here. Um, it's making its way to you, pal. Um, yeah. But I feel like Rocky Three is, you know, the first time we saw Mr. T on a national stage, you know, and it, it correlates right around the time that the A team started to become a thing as well. But yeah, man, like Mr. T is like part of his, like that's his real name. It yeah. Is, you know, so that's kind of cool, and I can understand. You know, people may hear that and are like, Jesus Christ, what 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 a racist thing to do. You got to understand something. Things were a hell of a lot different in the early 80s, in the late 70s, than they yeah. are here and now. And by and large, black men, black women, uh, were not treated well at all. Even after race riots and things of this nature, like, we are still dealing with this shit. R- racism is still very much a thing. And for him to step out of in, in front of that and make a declaration like that, obviously has panned out very well for him and because i mean all these years later he's going to be one of those dudes that tributes pour into when his day comes and he is no longer here people are going to remember him as one of the true icons of this decade Would, would you agree with that oh i agree with that totally i mean i'm sitting here uh i don't collect wrestling figures 
And literally just off to my left, I'm looking straight ahead at a ultimate Mr. T wrestling figure. You know, I have, you can see Mr. T behind me, you know, standing there on the shelf. I got the Mr. T standing in front of the A-team fan there. Um, Mr. T, in my opinion, if you were to find the 80s with 10 people, he would be in that top 10. Would have to be. He would have to be. Yep. (laughs) Can you tell me the two voices, the two actors that did the voice for Baby Animal on the Muppet Babies? Howie Mandel. That's one. There was two people that did the voice. Two different, two different people did did Baby Animal's voice on that cartoon. Mm. Just throw it out. I'm going to throw out Casey Kasem. Dave Coulier. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Cut it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the I know we kind of talked about this before. The, the show Cheers, were, were you a fan? Uh, not until my later years. Right. Um, but, you know, I did watch it. Cheers premiered in 1982 and was ranked uh, almost last in the ratings. But its finale, 11 years later, brought in 80.4 million viewers. 80.4. Holy shit. That, yeah. That's what a crazy. turnaround. Yeah. Uh, who was better, Christy Alley or Shelley Long? <laughs> it's a tough one. It is. Um, I I personally prefer Christy Alley. Uh, I always Shelley Long has, and this is nothing against her personally because I don't know her personally, but everything that I have seen her in, she's got this aura of being such a snooty fucking bitch. And I, I think that I subconsciously allow that to dictate my fanfare for her. I respect her. Like, I know who and what she's done or, you know, what, what she is and what she's done. But if you're making me compare, I am going to side with Kirstie Alley. You know, you're, you're, you're kind of right, because now that I'm thinking about it, Money Pit, she was the same character as she was in True Beverly Hills. Yeah. So, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Now, Christy Alley, on the other hand, I loved her in For Richer or Poorer with Tim Allen. Uh, look who's talking. I mean, they were all different characters. Right. But when Christy Alley wanted to play a bitch, Jesus, God, she could she could play a bitch. Among the best, right? Yeah. <laughs> and she had that. She had such a unique facial structure that, yeah. I mean, just just based on facial expressions alone you know we, we we hear resting bitch face she was the epitome of that when she wanted to be or needed or needed to be let me ask you a question what yeah. the fuck is a, a you know happening in germany and and i i say that because in germany and and we've talked about this david hasselhoff is a national treasure right you can't hassle the hoff i can um you know what else is the big damn deal over there is alf speaking of sitcoms alf was very popular in germany the country actually has a city named alf and people kept stealing the sign due to the show's popularity it also led for some reason to alf making Uh Uh-oh. Alf 
making hit hip-hop albums. Alf is a recording superstar in fucking Germany. <laughs> I know. I, I sent you one of the songs. I thought you would actually hate it worse than Treat Your Mother Right by Mr. T. I didn't But you, you, you didn't, though. Um, hey, I got to go back to something real quick, okay? Yeah. Did you ever get Christy Alley? I, I did look up her name. That's what I was doing. Did you ever get Christy Alley mixed up with Claudia Christensen? Because they look so so similar. I can see the similarity, but no, I never did get no. confused. Like I, I, I don't know. There was something about about Kirstie Alley that, like, I had a thing for her. Even in in her bitch mode, she was sexy as fuck, man. Like yeah. it was her eyes. It was. I mean, but no, I I know what you're talking about, and I can totally see where that's a thing. But I never got confused. Gotcha. Okay. No. Now going back to Alf. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what do you think about this whole Ryan Reynolds getting ready to reboot Alf? Glad you brought that up because it's one of the, one of the reasons why I focused on, on this one because I knew you would take this off to a sidebar. I was uh, I was excited about it when I first. I'm 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 a Ryan Reynolds fan. I appreciate what what he's doing and lending his name and his credibility to smaller companies and things of this nature he's launching his own network now i guess and uh what oh, i sure see... go ahead and steal from us ryan reynolds i see how it is steal from the network <laughs> or really people are paying attention to us i like i see that you know people may hear that little tongue-in-cheek oh they're just blowing wind up each other's asses or whatever no no there is too much shit happening that has not been happening since we started talking about it. So somebody somewhere along the lines is picking up on what we're doing. Dude, uh, the one cameo uh, was booked from Australia. I mean, what the hell? Yeah. You, I, I didn't know that until you just said that. Yeah, well, because I was looking at who I was uh, directing the cameo to, mm -hmm. okay? And I looked, and the guy was based in Australia. I said, "Wow, this is this is different." You know, uh, don't get any cameos for a month and a half, and all of a sudden get two in one day. Like you said, I thought I was getting set up, man. So <laughs> I I was concerned. Yeah, <laughs> it really was. <clears throat> um, John Hughes. I see the name John Hughes, and you know anybody that's in our age group, our generation, uh, wrote and directed some of the most iconic movies of that of that era. Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink. Uh, but I always, when I hear John Hughes, I always go right to Home Alone. So yeah, a lot of people do. Yeah, I, I've got two bits of information here about John Hughes. All right. Mr. Hughes wrote 16 candles after an agent sent him a stack of actresses' headshots, including Molly Ringwald. He put her picture over his desk and wrote the bulk of the film in one weekend with that role with her in mind before he even met her. Uh, I... I've always had a thing for Molly Ringwald, e even now. There's something about that little fiery redhead that always put a little fuel in my tank, if you get what I mean. Uh, I, uh, I, 
John Hughes is super, super talented. To do that in one weekend with that movie is pretty, pretty damn incredible. Incredible. I mean, especially when you look at um, the characters he had in that movie. You know, you had what uh, Long Duck Dong, um, yeah. Jake, uh, Jake's blonde girlfriend. That his hair got caught up in the door. I can't remember her and name. They had to cut cut it out of of the door, and she had a big chunk missing out of the back of her head. Yeah, right. That and I, I forgot uh, Anthony Michael Hall's name in that movie, but the geek. I, I don't remember. <clears throat> but so, such a great movie. A lot, of, a lot of characters to come up with in one weekend. With, I mean, very defined characters. <clears throat> like, every one of them had their own li- little thing going on. You know, that's right. not easy to write, man. You know, to put that kind of, kind of depth into it along those lines. Yep. He also wrote Ferris Bueller's Day Off. He often wrote quickly. In fact, the script for Ferris Bueller's Day Off took him six days, just six days to, to write that movie. And that is a movie that is very involved. A lot of backstory, a lot of character development, a lot of shots being, you know, or a lot of scenes been shot in these big production, elaborate fucking sets, downtown Chicago. Um, the parade scene where they're driving the car where the, the parking attendants are driving the car around the city and then obviously it ultimately ends up going out the back of the fucking crowd. Right. <laughs> some, some of the funniest shit I've ever seen. Um, but yeah, and man, Cameron you... was in Egypt's land. <laughs> Let my Cameron go. <laughs> ridiculous <clears throat> you have to hear you my... sing twice now <laughs> it's not even your birthday cindy all right <laughs> um most of run dmc didn't like the name run dmc uh russell simmons joseph run brother who helped promote the band and get their first single produced actually came up with the name run dmc which the rest of the group hated they wanted it to be called the Devastating Two, or the Dynamic Two MCs. That one I did hear, the Dynamic Two. Um, but, I mean, they, they they stood out based on that name alone. I mean, they came out right around the same time as the Fat Boys were hitting heavy, too. And, uh, oh, I forgot about the Fat Boys. Man, oh, man, I haven't heard, heard that name in a minute. Yeah, uh, you know, and and the cool thing about those two is they were not caught up in the East West Coast, you know, uh, battles that were going on, like between the NWA and Curtis Blow and all those guys. You know, they were like their own separate deal, so it was pretty cool. Uh, the Terminator's most iconic line was supposed I'll be to back. be, "It was supposed to be, I'll come back." The line, I'll be back from the Terminator movies, was written in the movie's novelization as I'll come back. But before you write that off as a typo, I'll come back was how it was written in the original script. So obviously Arnold improvised there. And probably a good thing. Um, Jane Fonda helped popularize leg warmers. Jane Fonda's workouts was a big damn thing back in the day. Yep, sure were. Jennifer Beals accidentally launched the ripped sweatshirt craze. 
for for uh, see, another reason for the leg warmer craze, the movie Flashdance, which also gave us the collarless sweatshirt. Actress Jennifer Beals once shrunk a sweatshirt in the dryer, then cut around the collar so it would fit. She wore that to her audition, and that style made it into the movie. Um, Flashdance, I know it's one of my guilty pleasure movies, but there is a scene in there. There, uh, the song is called Manhunt. They're in the middle of the strip club, and you got that uh, blonde that is dancing to that song Manhunt. She's crawling around the stage and being all sexy. Yeah, That blonde is also the same dancer that's Johnny Castle's partner in Dirty Dancing. Cynthia that, Rhodes is her name. Yep. Do you know who she's married to? Um, no. Richard Marks. Oh, yeah, I didn't know that. Yep, 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 yep. See, I have a lot of stupid knowledge just off the top of my head. <laughs> like that. Uh, <clears throat> hey, where are we at time-wise, bud? Because I know uh, we took that break. Yeah, we're at uh, about the 110 mark. Uh, taking the break in, in, in consideration, an hour and 10 minutes. Yeah. Let me see if I can find a couple of other ones here. Because like I said, this could go on and on. They put 80 of these sons of bitches on here. Um, Fra Fraggle Rock was HBO's first original series. I did not know that. Did not know that either. Uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse theme song had a famous singer. Who was it? Uh, I did not know this until I read this. Uh, well, I know Joski Love did the peewee dance. Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be someone like who did the Betty Boop voice, right? I don't know. Hit me, Cindy Lauper. Really? That's what I said. No shit. Wow. And then I, and then I can play it in my head. I'm like, yeah. Yep, I yeah, hear it. I, I, can, I can totally see that. Um, Neil Armstrong turned down MTV. Uh, MTV presented, or when MTV premiered in the 1980s, they wanted to use Neil Armstrong's one small step for a quotation from the moon landing, but Armstrong refused. So they tossed in the bleeping sound over the video collage of the Apollo 11 landing instead. Interesting. Um, the Beastie Boys once opened for Madonna. Oh, what kind of show would that have been? <laughs> A show I probably would have really enjoyed. <laughs> yeah. Dr. Ruth was almost in Dirty Dancing. Can only imagine what that would have looked like. The Ghostbusters crew made three Stay Puft marshmallow suits. Uh, $20,000 it cost to make them sons of bitches. Uh, we've talked about the chimp that, uh, that was almost the sidekick to Doc Brown. Uh, yeah, th this is a no-brainer. The, the guitarist who had the solo in Beat It, the Michael Jackson song, was... Oh, hell, I don't know. Eddie Van Halen. I, I didn't know that. For real. I did not know that. Oh, well, I'll be damned. Uh, Paul Abdul choreographed for ZZ Top and Janet Jackson. We've talked about that. Well, we talked about the Janet Jackson part, not ZZ Top. Because when I think of ZZ Top, I don't think of chore choreographed fucking dance numbers. You know what I mean? 
That's well, if you think about it, when they when they like, if you think about their music video double back, you know, they spun the guitars around and shit like that. You know, that was easy top. They weren't no dancers for God's sakes, but they, you know, when they when they did do some sort of choreographed movement, they were in sync together. So okay. This will be the last one I'll fire off about this. All right. <clears throat> if you think, okay, after ET came out, Reese's Pieces sales increased by 65%. The original script called for Elliot to use another candy to draw out the alien, but Mars famously turned them down. Any idea what? Famous candy turned down the opportunity to be a part of it. Oh man, Mars would it have been M and M's. It sure the hell was. Okay, okay. Uh, that movie is <laughs> Reese's Pieces on the fucking map. Yeah. Oh. Have you had Reese's Pieces now though? They're just not the same. They're not the same. No. They're not the same. And yes, I have. Yep. No, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Look, man, like they have all kinds of cool facts, figures, things of this nature. This, but we are running up well over an hour at this point. So we'll go ahead and kind of pin, put a pin on, on the rest of it for another date if we want to revisit that. But some interesting facts and figures in there from the 1980s I thought were at least worth mentioning. Um, yeah, I mean, this is, it just really hammers home just how awesome our childhood truly was. Because a lot of what we've talked about are things that still resonate to this day. Yeah, you know, I was listening to uh, a couple past shows here, and I was listening to what we were talking about. And for some reason, I really... Uh, went into the deep recesses of my mind thinking about you know how it was when i was a kid like we were talking about here a week or two ago about how toy aisles and stores you know you walk into a grocery store there'd be you know three toy aisles in a grocery store now you're lucky to even get a quarter of an aisle uh when you walk into let's just throw the name out there when you walk into walmart sure you got six to eight rows of toys but when you look at the toys it's the same toys that we had when we were kids just amped up another notch you know um the 80s truly defined uh not just one generation but the generations that preceded it and if you really can't see how cool the 80s were then you probably should um open your eyes and, and, and make, make those comparisons to what the eighties were then to what times are now. Um, it, the eighties were in fact, what I say is the greatest era in the history of mankind. Now, granted people from the fifties are going to say that about them and sixties are going to say that about them, but the 80s really have have defined the next 40 years, if you really think about it. It's, it's yeah. crazy. It really and truly is, on so many aspects, the last great decade. It really is. I mean, you people that grew up as 90s kids, they can make a compelling argument, but they'll lose. 
right. when, you, when you compare facts and figures. You, you look at the toys of the 90s, you listen to some of the music of the 90s. Okay, so yeah, I'm the old guy. Get off my lawn type of bullshit with that. You know, I wasn't a Nirvana fan, and I wasn't a Smashing Pumpkins fan. And I, you know, I wasn't a Bakugan fan, but my kids are, you know, and I can't argue with them because their their views and their definition of what was great is obviously going to be completely skewed from what mine is. Now my son will sit there and tell you he'll he enjoys listening to like Motley Crue, Poison, you know, uh, Def Leppard, you know, stuff like that. But my daughter is more like, a, you know, bubblegum pop, Katy Perry, uh, Adele, you know, that type of shit. So it just depends, I guess, on uh, your experience. Well, it does. It depends on your experiences and your levels of for lack of a better term, infatuation with the generation that you were born in. Yeah, very, very much so. Um, <clears throat> listen, man, let's, uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and start putting a bow on this thing, r- wrapping this episode up. Uh, you can check out all of the latest merchandise that is available on all of our shows here on the network. Head over to cafepress.com forward slash pfc network look for power tripping through the 80s on facebook house of the heart.net is the official website oh i didn't even make mention of this dude oh we have a new columnist that has joined the the writing staff here for our website somebody that you and i um are familiar with somebody that amy sheridan is very familiar with and uh, he now joins us. He joins our staff, as it were, as a um, as a critic of our content. Uh, Wildman Williams is now part of the PFC Entertainment Network, and we can only imagine what kind of shenanigans is coming out of that dude's pen in the in in the forthcoming weeks as he breaks down and dissects every show that we put out under the PFC banner. So that's going to be interesting. Yeah, I've always been a fan of Wildman Williams. I'm, I'm pretty excited to see what he's got to say. Another thing I'm pretty excited about, it was announced on the network earlier this week, is that Kristen Watt coming in with Say Watt is yeah. going to uh, be joining us on the network. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing her. Uh, I understand that we got some more possible shows joining us on the network. So I'm looking forward to see uh, what arrives here in the future. So, and I also heard that we might uh, be getting a twist on an older show that's supposed to possibly be being revamped. So, yeah, good to hear. We're, we we we're making moves. We're making changes. We're making progress. We're taking steps forward. And that's what's going to take this network to the next level. And a huge part of that is putting the right people in the right places. Now, this network has a very strong foundation. You, Amy, Levi. Now we're now we're bringing in Kristen Watt, and we're bringing in some new co-hosts for the Turnbuckle Time Machine. We're we're doing a, a bunch of different things that are we're trying to. Do a, appeal to everybody like there's going to be something for everybody on this network and we are continuously coming up with with different ideas on how to entertain you the fans the listeners the viewers so if there's something that 
you want to see, you want to hear, you want to hear us talk about, this is why it's important that you reach out to us either through email or through the show's individual Facebook pages. Let us know what you want so that we can produce accordingly. Um, but I mean, even at this point, Sean, the numbers are still going upward. They're not going backwards. So that is a very promising thing. Absolutely is. I mean, we're, we're starting to make moves on the on the eBay accounts and the Cameo accounts and obviously the Tic Tac accounts, a thousand views, my God, uh, in one day. That's that's amazing. Um, you know, and even if you're interested in podcasting yourself and you want to possibly join the network, contact us. Give us your show ideas. Tell us what your ideas are, because, you know, we, we are a smorgasbord here on the network you know there's always going to be something for somebody and maybe you can contribute to that maybe you can you know fill fill someone's plate you know and you know uh, give them give them the entertainment and you become the star that you've always wanted to be we provide opportunity we provide a platform and we provide opportunity and if this is something that is of interest to you much like my brother, co-host, tag team partner just alluded to, um, hit, hit us up, man. That's what we're here for. So with that, um, let's uh, get out of here this week. Uh, go out this week. Be awesome to yourselves, to each other. Hug your loved ones a little bit tighter today. And let them know under on with no uncertain terms what they mean to you. Because you just never know. Tomorrow is never guaranteed. So That's seize right. the moment now. With that, we will see you next week. For Sean Grugel, I'm Jason Klaus. Thank you so much for tuning in. Stick around to the end of the show for a special tribute to our friend, our partner, our brother, the General's Dave Linder. With that, we'll see you next week. Right here. Power tripping through the 80s on the PFC Entertainment Network. Love you, Jeff.